Great. Welcome everyone to an unconventional episode of the podcast. <laughs> We're here late at night. It's it's nine o'clock where Freeman's at. About seven thirty where I'm at. I've been uh, dying to do this podcast for a few weeks now. After Freeman and I were uh, corresponding privately about uh, a couple of experiences he's had on researching certain drugs and certain incentives within the pharmaceutical industry and the scientific research industry that I think are quite interesting and, and not just that, but striking and revealing um, about so many of the pathological elements in our system that have manifested so clearly during COVID for many of us. But, you know, the, the rot and the corruption runs quite, quite deep. And so I'm excited to talk about this. Um, for, for those of you who don't know, Joseph Raymond, uh, we had him on the podcast before when uh, Dr. J interviewed him about his study in the journal Vaccine showing the 1 in 800 serious adverse event rate, far higher than uh, other vaccines. That's for the COVID vaccine, obviously. Um, so with Freeman and I were going back and forth privately on what we're about to talk about, and it, it relates to another topic, um, which I'm very interested in, which is psychedelic research and i've got a couple of episodes planned i don't know if this episode will be released after some of these other episodes but there are a couple of other experts i'm going to be interviewing in the area such as rick doblin at maps studying uh, mdma for mdma assisted psychotherapy for ptsd and dr matt johnson at johns hopkins who's done some of the great work uh, pioneering the studies on psilocybin for depression and end-of-life anxiety. And uh, I know a lot, a lot of you are not exposed to this area at all and have a lot of questions or concerns or fears or trepidations, which is understandable. Um, and I, I promise you in some of the other episodes with guests who are, who are experts in the area, we'll go through some of the, the, the fundamentals of this topic. But in brief, I'm very interested in treatments for mental health issues, particularly things like depression and anxiety, which has become very, very common. And it turns out to be that some of the psychedelic therapies, they are considered to be, according to the data, and uh, even if you, anecdotally, um, the most powerful and effective solutions for complex um, disorders pertaining to trauma in childhood and difficulty feeling certain emotions, having gone through adverse experiences. Um, I'm very interested in that as someone who cares about the goodness of humanity and for healing people from trauma and, and getting them out of their misery. Um, so th that, that's why I'm interested in psychedelics. Um, but we're going to be talking about a very specific um, area that Dr. Freeman has uh, a good amount of experience in, and that's studies on MDMA, um, which he's been a part of, and and as we'll get into, some of those stories reveal a whole lot about a lot of the corruption in our system in producing uh, certain outcomes and results that favor certain narratives and suppressing other kinds of research. So we'll get into it all. Um, Dr. Freeman, great to have you here at a unusually late podcast, probably the first time I've done a podcast this late. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's. Uh... Part of it has to do with being an emergency physician. I work at night, and so yeah. these are my hours are somewhat strange, and I stay up all night. I have a series of three shifts 
coming up. Uh, so before those, I spend the whole night awake and uh, work on various projects. So when I saw you contacted me, I said, "Hey, I'm free. <laughs> we could do we could do this now." Yeah, yeah, it was crazy when we went back and forth about this topic because I just you know I, I hold such high respect for you and admire your work in the COVID realm, but it turns out you have some experience with the psychedelic realm. And how actually those two areas, while they may seem very different, and they are very different, but your experiences kind of highlight a similar pathology in our system, which has resulted in so much of the mess over the past few years. Yeah, um, I want to keep I, I want I want to keep this somewhat concise. Um, so hopefully we can cap we can end this in forty five minutes or so. Um, Sounds good. But but yeah, let's. Is there anything so, you want to say before we yeah, get into it specifically? I would say that from I. The work that we're talking about here from what I've done is I wouldn't even know if it would be called psychedelic research. It was we were doing I was involved in a lab in an undergraduate. Uh, this this took place and uh, we were looking at MDMA, but in in animals and in, in rats. Just to and be clear for everyone, MDMA is not technically psychedelic. It gets lumped into psychedelics because psychedelic just means mind manifesting and MDMA like psilocybin or DMT tends to reveal very easily and, and, and quickly over a certain amount of time uh, at the right dose. Um, a lot of interpersonal psychological issues and adverse experiences. They are, that's why this is used in the PTSD uh, studies because MDMA is, is uh, very powerful in bringing up certain traumatic memories and letting you reprocess them and deal with them and um, interpret them differently after having gone through some serious trauma. So that's why it gets lumped into the psychedelic category, but it's not technically psychedelic. It's, uh, it's, it's, they call it an empathogen, right? It, it increases empathy and love and compassion. It's also used uh, in couple couples therapy. There's some interesting studies around that on couples who do MDMA together to, to work through the various issues. Um, that correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Joseph. This is MDMA would be considered a, a methamphetamine, right? Yeah. Well, yes, it is. It, it's a. It's it has a methamphetamine with, within it. Though. That's the the MA part of a meth, right. you know, methylene dioxide meth, methamphetamine. So yeah, it, it's sort of a a cousin of of methamphetamines for sure. Okay. But it, it's understood to be not. It's not considered a traditional amphetamine, okay. essentially, in how it works for through its neurochemistry, uh, which tend to be much more. Basically, they're much more. Uh, amphetamines tend to be dopaminergic, essentially, and MDMA is more is a mixture of serotonergic and dopaminergic in terms of in in its neurochemistry. But uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely similar to the amphetamines. Okay, for sure. Sorry, um, I were you about to, were you going to say something before? Yeah, so I was saying that the studies that I was working on were about neurotoxicity. We were essentially a neurotoxicity lab. Yep. We worked for, uh, I worked in and, this. And, and where is this? It was at UMass Amherst. Okay. And uh, at that time, I was an undergraduate. I was really just going kind of working real hard at the time uh, to to plan, planning to become an, uh, a PhD in, in neuroscience. And so I was working in this lab 50 hours, 50 hours a week. It, it was a large portion of my life at the time. And what we were doing is we'd, we'd be giving uh, MDMA to rats 
And then we, through a technique, we would end up having, we'd have to kill the rats at the end. And then we'd look at their brains to, to look to see if we had evidence of, of neurotoxicity from MDMA. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I, when I tell people I've worked in a neurotoxicity lab for MDMA, the first thing, you know, most people say is they give me a look and they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, is it, is, is it neurotoxic? You know, I think and yeah. looking back to some college days, maybe that they were concerned, they, they could have caused yeah. some neurotoxicity. And uh, before, you know, I, we go into all this, I think it's just important for anyone listening to understand that the general findings of neurotoxicity and MDMA is that uh, when take people, humans taking MDMA at the recreational doses that they're taking it at, it does not look like MDMA is causing neurotoxicity at the doses that we're talking about. And that doesn't mean if you take 400 pills, you know, then you you can probably cause neurotoxicity if you take a massive dose. Um, But at the typical doses, people take- As as with many prescription pharmaceuticals, probably in your your cabinet, in your kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) At at high enough doses, right? Certain medications- Would cause- yeah. I'm not sure if they would all cause neurotoxicity, but I, I no, dangerous. Not all, yes. but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so and yeah. so the to the reason that you wanted to speak with me on this kind of what happened is the 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 research that we're doing looking for neurotoxicity, the way that it works is all funded by the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that if you work for if your grants are coming from the National Institute of Drug Abuse, they have um somewhat of a pretty strong agenda in that they want to make these, the drugs that, that they're, you know, 